Hi everybody, welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I got another great interview f show for you today. I know I've had three interviews in a row. It's not it's not normal. Usually I try to go back and forth, but it just hasn't worked out that way lately. I've got some great people uh, available for interviews and I just couldn't pass it up. So uh, today we're going to be talking with Daniel Davis from DuckDuckGo. And uh, DuckDuckGo, if you recall, is a privacy-centered search engine. That's an alternative to Google search engine. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. So you know, we, we hear all the news stories about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and all the, you know, the things that have been exposed and all the things that Facebook knows about you. Uh, and what we really need to realize is that all of that just pales, pales in comparison to what Google knows about most of us. Google is all up in everything that we do. And uh, I think you'll actually be surprised to learn at all the different ways that Google is in our lives. And uh, so... As all these, you know, as all these scandals around privacy have been coming around, uh, I've finally just decided personally that I've got to extract myself from Google. And they have some great products. These free products that they've had uh, that I have used for many, many, many years um, are, are honestly great. Functionally, they're wonderful. Uh, and because, you know, kind of like Facebook, because everybody uses them. It's just so easy to, to, you know, share calendars, to share documents, to, uh, you know, um, email, of course, is, you know, does it's not quite the same because at least email is a standard that uh, many different services support. So you don't have to both be on Gmail in order to send email, which, you know, thank God. Um, but um, anyway, there, there are just so many things that Google is part of lives. And we're going to cover that in the interview. So I don't want to give too much away now. But the point of this interview and what I tasked Daniel with is as, and they've got an article at DuckDuckGo about how to, um, how to get rid of Google, how to live your life without Google products. And it goes through all the top Google products and gives you a, a really viable alternative. But to me, that wasn't good enough. What I wanted to know was, okay, if I have deeply embedded in Google and I've got all this data and all my friends know my Gmail address and, you know, I'm sharing Google calendars with people, it's not just enough to know, you know, here's an alternative, but how do I actually switch from one to the other? And so we're going to talk about that today with Daniel, da uh, Daniel Davis, and uh, let's jump right in. He's got some really great info. And we're going to talk, we'll start off talking a little bit about, you know, what the real background is here, what Google knows about us, why they know so much about us and why it's should be concerning to all of us. And then we'll get into some practical issues of how do we switch away? What are the other, what are the real alternatives to Google? So I'm dying to know, and I'm sure you are too. Let's talk to Daniel Davis and let's figure out what the real alternatives to Google are and how we get there. All right, today we are excited to have Daniel Davis back with us. He is a community manager at DuckDuckGo, uh, the uh, privacy-preserving search engine, which we will talk about specifically during this uh, show. Uh, and he helps users take back their privacy, not just when searching, uh, but in the wider internet as well. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Hello, Gary. It's good to be here again. Yes, uh, awesome to have you. Uh, and I've been wanting to do this show for, for a long time now, also because I want to get this advice for myself. But I know that because I need it, and I'm supposedly a security privacy guy, I know that the audience needs this as well. And we and <laughs> we're going to be talking about um, how to kick the Google habit or uh, or habits, really uh, plural, because uh, I don't think most people realize, you know, a how many things we use every day that are actually owned by Google. Uh, and B, how much Google really knows about us. Uh, Facebook uh, has gotten a lot of heat over the last year or so um, for all the information they've gathered and you know, shared with third parties. And um, 
But I would think that that has to pale in comparison to the sheer volume of information that Google has collected about us. Um, so first question to you is, assuming I've done nothing really to prevent tracking, which is probably most people, what does Google know about me and where is it getting that information? Wow, what a question to start with. <laughs> <laughs> and where where do you start? I mean, um, okay, the easy answer is, oh, no, it's everything about you, but obviously <laughs> that's, you know, that's not really helpful. Um, it depends on the products you're using, but assuming that you're just like everybody and uh, somebody sends you a link to a YouTube video and you click on that and then uh, you got a phone from your provider and it's got uh, Android installed, maybe you don't even know what Android is. Uh, just recently got my uh, parents-in-law a, a tablet and I'm sure they've got no idea what operating mm. system even is um and then within that you use various services and um you're using maybe google hangouts to chat with your family or using gmail for your email uh, address so many different ways that um that information is all being collected even though it's different product names by effectively one company and uh, one thing that i should say as well it's not just google services but a lot of people are unaware of things not branded as google being owned by them and i just mentioned youtube mm -hmm. you, you might think oh you know we all know youtube is owned by google we've been doing some research recently as surveys of different areas of, of privacy and one of them was seeing how many people knew that and it turns out 45 percent of the people we uh, surveyed did not know that <laughs> youtube was owned by google um so if you're listening to this podcast, then I think by nature, you're probably quite a, a techie person and maybe not representative of the whole population at large. So we're sometimes surprised that so much of the population is outside of our sort of techie bubble and really, really don't have what we would assume to be basic tech knowledge. So we were, we were surprised at that figure. Um, so we're consequently doing um, more studies and we've looked into how many people don't know that ways the mm -hmm. navigation system is owned by Google. Turns out that's just over half. Uh, that's not been released yet. A bit of a, a spoiler there. I'm surprised um, it's that high, to be honest. I bet I, I'm surprised that that oh. many people know. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Um, what well, the next one as well is how many people realize that Nest uh, is owned by Google, mm -hmm. and that's something that we we may look at in the future. Because yeah, I figure that's going to be pretty high as well. And. Chrome, of course, Google Chrome, the most popular browser on the planet. Um, it, it says Google right on there, but it, you know a lot of people just call it Chrome and they may not realize that it's Google, even though it's got a Google login. And uh, so there's that. So, I mean, you think about it, you know, that the Chrome, your browser is basically, most people consider that the internet. I mean, that is, that is our portal to the internet and everything, you know, most people, you know, what most people do on their computers now involves the internet. So your prime yes. portal to the entire interweb is owned and operated by Google as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so when we think about what kind of data Google can extract through this, uh, the, well, it's effectively there's there's no limit, but some of the sort of highlights of it would be in particular location. So through use of Google Maps through Waze, for example, uh, W-A-Z-E, uh, through um, uh, Android, obviously mm -hmm. they can track your location pretty much uh, everywhere, and I'll explain in a minute at really high detail. Not only that, but... Um, Android apps, uh, many of them owned or, or monitored by, by Google, they can you know, track not just your location through those, um, but the things you're interacting with and sometimes also your activity. So there is uh, an app permission that mm. can be enabled within Android apps where it tries to work out what you're doing. So it can figure that you're, you're not moving and the phone is 
vertical, therefore you're probably standing up. And, it, or, and in, it, if it's at a slight angle, it can work out, or you're probably sitting down. I don't know how it does it, but there are different sort of um, sort of results that come out of when the developer uses this this feature. It gets uh, a selection of results, and it can be you know, lying down, standing up on a bicycle, uh, in a car, something like that. So it's pretty. There's, there's, we we announced. Well, we told people about this uh, earlier in the year, and people reported back. Well, yeah, this is this is pretty accurate. <laughs> it does a good job of guessing. Um, other ways that uh, the, the data that um, other types of data that they can uh, collect about you and, and probably are is obviously when you're using things mm. as well as where, uh, but also who you're interacting yeah. with, and with the uh, text messages. That, you know that's an obvious thing. Also the contacts on your phone. So you know, Google obviously knows you know who's whose phone number you have consequently it then has their phone number so it's not just your own privacy but it's other people's privacy potentially leaking there and text messages within android are not encrypted by default so potentially the content of your, your text messages obviously who you're emailing and receiving emails from uh, and then you've got photos and google's got a, a very um clever algorithm for working out if people are in photos or if dogs are in photos and and you might go and add tags and descriptions to that you know effectively just uh yeah telling them a whole more load of stuff just in case they can't, can't work out everything for themselves <laughs> yeah and even that to me just seems that's just the tip of the iceberg i mean so google chrome if you use them for your browser and you and whether probably whether or not you actually because google has the option to log in to the web browser probably whether you do that or not it's not just tracking the Google sites you go to. It could be they have access to every website you go to. Um, so there's that. And location, you know, people think, oh, you know, who cares about my location? But that your location information can say so much about you, you know, what places you frequent. It'll easily tell you where your home and your work are. It'll, it could tell you where your loved ones are. It could tell you where you, you know, with whom you associate. Because if I know your location and everybody else's location, I know when you're close to those people and how often you're close to those people. Um, you know, I know what bars you hang out at. I know when you like to go to see the movies. I know, I know what church you go to, which means I know, you know, what your religious affiliations are. I may, if you go to, you know, if you, maybe you go to an LGBT bar that, that says something about you, your location is so much more than just where you're at at any given time. The history of your location paints a unbelievably detailed picture about you as a person. Exactly, and I'm I'm very glad you brought this up. And I promise this is not planned between us. Uh, <laughs> just um, I think 24 hours ago or so, New York Times uh, released an article called uh, "Google Knows Where You've Been." Does it know who you are? And the reporter here, it, it's talking a little bit about the recent, I suppose you call it a, a scandal, where mm. it turns out that asking Google to not store your location right. history or, not, or not, not record your location history didn't actually stop it from doing that. So following up on that, it's this uh, reporter has investigated further. There is a Google feature called Google Takeout where you can take out your, your Google data and obviously on first glance, it looks very, very complex and it's going to take some effort to, to go through it. So because of that, a high school student, um, I should name him actually, Theo Pat is his name okay uh, back in 2014 he made a, a sort of mapping tool where you basically give it the file that you've got from google and it will then show your location on the map and you can zoom in you know very very closely and it uh, sort of highlights like a heat map mm. highlights the different places that are listed in your google history and so you, you look at it and you think yeah okay yeah pretty much uh, 
let's say I live in New York, New York's going to be a big sort of glowing blob because that's mm-hmm. where I spend most of my time, sure. This reporter then zoomed in further and further, and the level of detail is really surprising in this article. Uh, they tend to go um, visit family or whatever quite regularly, so they have a particular airport that they go to uh, covered in purple, with a purple <laughs> dot, but then they can go in closer and see that generally they use gates C-18 oh, wow. and C-25, except when they go to C-9 to use the bathroom just next to that <laughs> gate. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I don't know, for, for me that's, that's pretty scary. And then uh, you mentioned church as well, the religious affiliation, that's, that's a very good point. This person as well, they saw a sort of blob over their local church, which they only go to once a year for the, for the family Christmas service, but even within the church, it shows roughly you know, where they, they sit wow. uh, within that church. It's... Um, it feels like somebody's been sort of walking around with you, watching you, following you to the yeah, the bars that you go to, and yeah, that that's kind of creepy. And well, and you know, and one of the other things we've covered in the show before with some of the folks from the EFF is um, law enforcement. And in fact, in Raleigh, North Carolina, we got was famous for this. There were a couple of articles written there where the police basically said there was some, you know, there was a we believe there's I don't know if it was a fire that was set or a crime that was, I think it was a, a murder that was committed. And we're having trouble finding suspects, so they went to Google and said, "Tell me everybody who is in this radius of this mm-hmm. location within this time frame that you yes. know about." And I don't know; I, I can't remember if Google resisted this or eventually gave it. Or I think they did did eventually give out the info. But I mean, think how powerful that is. If I can go back, you know, you know, the creepy ones are starting. You think about, you know, well, if I want to discriminate against people, you know, show me all the people that frequent this LGBT bar, or or show me uh, all the people that went to this protest rally, or things like that. There's there's some serious, you know, issues that could be tied to that. Yes, uh, that's discrimination against people, and it could be flipped around. Show me all the people you know, who fit this uh, category because they're most likely ones that I can persuade with my with mm-hmm. my dollars to vote for me uh, in that upcoming right. uh, election or whatever. Um, and I, I just wanted to say a, a further point about that. So Google has this data, and people might think, okay, fair enough, Google's got it. I don't care. They're just a uh, you know big company, just uh, you know trying to make money with their algorithms. That's fine. Uh, law enforcement. Okay, yep, maybe they're trying to do the right thing, and that's okay. But the, the person who made this um, sort of analyzer of this data, the high school student I, I mentioned, he started getting lots of requests from people to analyze the files of people that they know. Mm. So I've got this file of this person. I want to find out where they've been. Can you help me to analyze it with, <laughs> you, with your tool? So the data that is collected in my opinion, is unlikely to stay with the person, with with the company that's collected it forever. It's digital data. It's not going to yep. decay. It's going to be there that's forever. Right. Will it always be secure in the hands of the company that's collected it? And that's very difficult to say. Yeah, that's the other thing too, is you got to realize this is forever. I mean, if you if you do, and I've recommended to the audience before, and I've told them how to do it, go download all your data. If you look at that data, it is everything. It is, goes all the way back to the first day you signed up at Google. So, you know, which for many of us is, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever that really got, got going, I mean, it's going to go on for a long time after. So, you know, what if someone says, you know, where were you on the night of so-and-so 20 years ago, they mm. could find out. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so why do they do this? Why does Google, why does Google collect all this data? Well, the short answer is, is for, for, for money. It's, it's for revenue. Uh, Google is effectively, well, we, we, Maybe think of them as a search company, but as we've explained earlier, they now have so many different products and services. Search is just one part of that, and the, nearly all of their revenue comes from advertising. So they're an advertising company. They mm. just happen to have lots of products and services that are a way for them to keep 
selling more advertising. And it's not just the direct um, ads that we see, but it's also the ad networks. So we see ads on other websites that Google doesn't own, but the ad is provided through uh, the Google ad network. And sometimes it's not even called Google, it's called um, uh, DoubleClick. That's another company mm-hmm. that Google, Google owns. Um, so th- this is what it's all for. The more Google thinks um, they know about you, the more they think they can make money through advertising. We, uh, talking about DuckDuckGo now, we have a different position. On our search engine, we show adverts only based on the keyword. So you search for a car, we might show you an advert for a car. And we don't have a personal profile, but we're still able to show ads that are pretty relevant to what you're searching for right. that one search. And yeah, we're, we're profitable. We're, you know, we're doing well with this um, business model. We think it could work for others, but for some people, it's, it's never enough. And I think that's a really important point. And I think, you know, I think when some people get all hooked up on privacy and they get all worked up, they hear this, oh my God, Google's doing, tracking everything I do. That's, um, you know, why do they do this? I don't, you know, I don't want, and yet these, I, you know, get these ads which are annoying and often creepy because I, you know, go to one site and I look at something and then I go to some completely different site the next day and all the ads are about the thing I searched for yesterday or the, or the site I went to yesterday. People are, you know, are picking up on this, but it's, it's, <laughs> It's not. It's not just. It's not just that. So the fact that this information is gathered in the first place, we're, we're hoping that Google does the right thing with it. That they're not going to abuse it. We're hoping that they're not going to give it over without at least warrant uh, a, a warrant issued to to law enforcement or intelligence agencies. But we, you know, what if it's stolen? What if it gets loose? I mean, look at all the thing, all the the, the cases we've had uh, where this data supposedly you know kept by a company, and even if that company swore not to abuse that data, what if it gets loose? Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier that you know there seems to be quite a lot of people who want to know where people they uh, within their family or people they know have been in the past. So there, there's a lot of um, maybe intent out there. Uh, even if it's not just individuals, if other companies get hold of this data, they can then use it uh, for changing prices for things, for example. And we, we saw an example of this. It was Staples, um, I believe several years ago now they charge different things on the web because um of where they thought you were or or because they thought you were using a mac or something like that so basically based on the profile they gather companies could be tempted to change prices and and charge you more for things Uh, that's just a a, obviously a monetary thing but uh, there there are so many different aspects so you've got the creepy side of it um you've got the the legality of it in some cases um you've got the financial side of it there are many different reasons why we don't want so many uh, companies or, or especially um, one com- company or, or two company having all this data concentrated in, in one place. Now, of course, Google will say, and especially after things like the GDPR and EU uh, and the EU privacy regulations have come around, that they, they will say that, you know, we've, we're wide open, we're very transparent. And they said this about the location data. Uh, you know, there was a place you could go in Google, as you mentioned, that said, you know, location tracking history or something, and you, there's a big button where you could turn that off. Well, it turns out, as you said, that there was, there's also a web app, something or other activity or something that just happened to also collect location data. Meaning that, you know, when you turn off the big button that says, don't track where I go, there were still things in Google that were tracking where you went. Um, nevertheless, Google said, if you actually read the fine print, if you actually looked at the privacy policy and looked at these various settings, and there's many of them, uh, that it spells out, oh, yeah, but it's, a, you know, if you look, just, all you have to do is look right there, and it says we are tracking location. So we're, we're being transparent. Um, do, you, <laughs> do you believe that? Are there, are, there, are there really being transparent? Is it, is it or, you know, because it seems to me from a practical standpoint, nobody ever reads that stuff anyway. 
Yeah, good point. There's transparent, and I think there's transparent and simple. And I think mm. we've not quite got to that second part yet. Yes. So the, um, the Google takeout service where you get all your Google data, you could say that's transparent. You have access to everything, but I think no regular person is going to be able to make head or tail of it without using some tool like that that high school student made. Uh, and similarly, yeah, with the terms and services, the, the privacy policy, often written deliberately to be um, yes. transparent maybe, but really, really hard to understand or so long. Like when you're installing... Um, uh, an upgrade or, or something or you're um initializing an iphone for example uh, i think there's like 56 or something different pages of the terms and service you have to go through before you can get to the next step and there may be some people who don't do all that and just jump to click okay without reading it probably um i'm guessing that companies are relying on that quite a lot yeah and that's so actually trans- go ahead i was gonna say so that there is transparency and going back to the location uh, history um I think to a certain extent there is transparency there. It's just hidden in so many different, or sorry, not hidden. <laughs> it's located in so many different places that it's very difficult to discover. So yes, location history, you can switch it off, but there's also this other setting in this other place. And, oh, it's all accessible to everybody. It's just very hard to join the, all the dots together and actually work out that you need to do all these different things to achieve your, your goal. Yeah, and I want to make two quick points on that, and then I want to dive into the the practical part because that's really what I want to get to. Um, but I, I don't want to forget to mention two things. So, um, first of all, and I've been trying to get somebody on the show to talk about this uh, this notion of what we call a dark pattern, uh, and the dark pattern is how they obfuscate the all these settings and they make them sound benign or um, or or helpful. You know, like you know, there's a and they're always pre-checked. That's another dark pattern is that these things are always all. Uh, opt out so you have to they're they're set by default when you sign up for these things you know uh, and you've got to go and find these things and turn them off because there's there's they're arguing that this is all for your benefit these are all making our services better we want to customize your experiences you know that's a common euphemism right uh yeah. what that really means is we want to track the hell out of you so that we could give you better ads oh and as a byproduct of that we'll also make these other services do some nice things for you uh so point one point two uh, I talked about this a little bit uh, on a show a while back. Uh, LexisNexis is one of these data brokers, big data broker that is collecting a lot of this data. Another one that you don't even hear about because you don't interact with them directly. But they're going to all these public uh, data sources, among others, and gathering these massive dossiers on everybody and using that, again, to sell to marketers so that they can target you. I ordered, because you can, I ordered my LexisNexis full report. And this is kind of like the the Google download, but it's so much worse. Because they actually sent me, I got my data, and they sent me over 300 printed pages. 300. There was my report. It's a book. It is. And I I tried to look through it, and it's so hard to visually parse. I mean, at least if they had sent me a file... You know, like this high school kid, I could have probably written some uh, a quick parsing routine that would have gone through and found some salient data. You know, find some way to process it and munge it down into a, ro- a report that kind of says, okay, this is what they have on me. I think this is intentional, right? They they want to send you a completely undigestible tome of, of paper that, that, that makes no sense to you anyway. Another dark pattern. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. I, I will talk about both those things in a future episode. But for now, okay. while I have you. <laughs> Just want to jump in. <laughs> give you some material for your dark pattern episode that's right <laughs> the way um the way things are phrased as well if you disable a certain setting um uh, it might say you know um disable this but and then it explains but that means you won't be able to use this particular feature so yep. it's trying to dissuade you um yep. and in other ways as well i'm thinking of amazon here <laughs> uh, it pops up the thing do you want to 
you know have 30 months free prime membership to get uh, free shipping and the button doesn't say no it says i don't want free shipping so it really discourages <laughs> you from from pressing it yes the words to that effect yep 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 okay so google has all these products we've talked about them then so let's say that i've decided okay i've had enough i've i'm going to assert myself i'm going to and realize that for most people it's not about choosing hmm what email service am i going to pick oh maybe i won't pick google i'll pick something else because everyone's already picked google <laughs> we're already <laughs> myself included we've been deeply embedded in these wonderful free services and i love these services i will admit fully that they are great google calendar google docs gmail i i, I use these things all the time and and they're just fabulous services but i but they're tracking me and it's driving me nuts and i've you know and that's so gosh darn it i've made up my mind that i want to do something different how practically do we do that we're so embedded in these things we've got so much history with these companies everybody knows my gmail addresses um uh everybody i, sh I share calendars with is also has google calendar that's the way it works we both have google calendar so we can see each other's calendars if i want to extract myself from this without somehow convincing everybody i know to do the same thing simultaneously how do we do that? And that's why I brought you here. <laughs> it's a tall order, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get this from you. So let's walk through some of these, these, these big ticket items, the ones that most of us are deeply, deeply into and see if we can't practically figure out how we extract ourselves from these and what we go to, what, what are the alternatives that maybe are better for privacy? I don't care where you want to start. You pick. <laughs> Um, I'd like to get the easiest out of the way first, if that's okay. We, yep. I'm, I'm going, by the way, from this article we've written, we've, uh, written called uh, How to Live Without Google. And we list not an alternative to every single product mm. and service, but uh, you know, the main ones that you've, you said that it's very easy for us to use automatically. Uh, so the easiest one uh, is search. Google search is not something you have to be logged in for. Uh, it's not something that is difficult to escape. It's very easy to switch to a different search engine you can uh, choose a search engine that doesn't record your um, your search history, so it's not sort of building a profile of you. Uh, each search you do is effectively anonymous. And there's a good one out there called DuckDuckGo. Yes. So that's that's worth giving a try. It's very easy to set it as your um, default search if you're not sure how. We also have an extension which uh, yes. will install it as your default search engine, as well. This is the extension um, it protects you in other areas as you browse other websites as well. It gives you privacy protection all through the web. And I'll, I'll put a quick plug in for that before we go on. <clears throat> I made the switch myself about, oh, I don't know, a year ago, maybe. And, you know, I'd, I, you know, I'd use DuckDuckGo from time to time, but I finally said, you know what, I'm finally, I'm just going to make the switch. I'm going to change my default, you know, uh, my default search setting in my browser, and I'm going to put it on my phone. And then you came out with that wonderful extension. And I've been using it for quite a while, and it is really very, very good. I, I, uh, I will, I will tell you right now that I use it. You know, maybe three, or four years ago, and I thought, yeah, boy, I don't know. It's really hard to get away, but I, it, I have not noticed uh, really the difference at, at this point. It's, it's wonderful. It's a very, very valid competitor to, to, to Google, and the privacy is certainly worth it. Oh, I'm great! Really happy to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So what's what's next? Gmail. Let's let's talk about Gmail. So that's another big one. A lot of people have used that, and I've used it since. It, since its inception, I've got so much Google email uh, out there. What are my alternatives, and then how do I how do I make that switch? Yeah, Gmail um, is hard because it's uh, it's used by so many people, and it's not just if um, you yourself, but anybody you email who has got an email a Gmail address, Google is effectively 
potentially able to access right. that conversation as well, at least the metadata of that con um, conversation, if not the, the content itself. So Gmail is tricky, but I think it's important. There are fortunately several new um, email alternatives that have put privacy as part of their, their feature set. And we've been using Fastmail, and mm. actually I've been using Fastmail personally as well for, for a long time. Fastmail uh, was not set up to be privacy centric, but it's uh, an independent company that, to my mind at least, through the content they put out and through the way they've you know, responded to me, and I've actually met one of the, the developers there as well, mm. they've, they've really instilled trust in you. Uh, so the, I encrypt my uh, emails with, with separate um, software. So they don't offer encryption by default, unfortunately. But everything else, I just have so much trust in Fastmail. And they also have a calendar feature and, and contacts. So we use Fastmail internally as well. Um, every .com email address um, goes to Fastmail. And yeah, we're very happy with that. Now, does uh, and this is something we should probably cover up front or early on as well, is that many of these other services, the reason the Google services are quote unquote free is because you are the product, <laughs> right? They, they, these things do cost money. There's, there's Google hires a lot of people. They've got a lot of servers. They've got a lot of overhead. All these Google products do cost money. So they're not, they can't be free or the company would be underwater. So the way they make the money is off of you and off our advertising fast mail and it's probably some of the other products we're going to talk about cost money, right? Yes, you're right. Um, so Fastmail don't have a free tier. They uh, have a cheap one. The lowest one I'm just checking now is uh, $3 per user per month. So, yeah, you have to pay if you want to use Fastmail. But there's an alternative. There are um, some new, relatively new ones out there. And ProtonMail mm. is one I've seen more and more people using, uh, using uh, recently. And they do have a, a free layer as well as paid uh, levels. And they also provide encryption, especially if you're communicating with somebody else who uses ProtonMail, right. then yeah, the email is, is automatically encrypted. Um, it's stored, uh, I think it's Switzerland where they're That's based. Right. Yep. So, you know, some people might, might see that as an extra um, uh, sort of reassurance. Uh, I, I think... Rather than location, it's all about how much you trust the company. That's the main thing for me. They could be located anywhere. If you don't trust them, then it doesn't mean anything. Um, so ProtonMail is one that a lot of people are, uh, are starting to use. Uh, Tutanota is another one as mm. well, uh, quite similar. So there are options there. And yes, you're going to have to pay for some of these if you really want to move away from Google. But even so, as I said, ProtonMail, they do still have a free uh, tier and they're supported by people who use their paid tiers. That's right. One one thing I also wanted to say about um, paying in general. So the initial reaction might be, well, why would I pay for something when there's a free alternative? <laughs> but we're seeing this trend. So I said, um, you know, I've seen more and more people starting to use ProtonMail and pay for it. VPNs as well. Yeah. Uh, VPN oh, yeah. is a service that you can use to give yourself added privacy on the, on the internet. So you're, IP address is changed. Potentially, your location is changed. So, it's it's um, websites can't see who you really are, basically. And yeah, some people use that to try and get around blocks for watching Netflix outside the US or whatever. But more and more people I've seen are using it just to protect their privacy. And VPNs are paid services. I think there might be some which are free, but there are. <laughs> don't, don't touch those <laughs> That's because right. they're free because they they, they track you basically. Yep. Um, so. We're seeing more and more people take 
not just taking action. We and again, we've done research on this. More and more people are taking action to protect their privacy, but more and more people are realizing um, that it's okay to put money in this because the payoff for you at the end is well worth it. The privacy that you're getting is worth it because now we're seeing how much the abuse of privacy by free companies is really costing us. Absolutely, and the other and the other little uh, icing I'll put on that cake is. Not only, you know, think about what privacy is worth to you. And a lot of people still are, you know, of this notion that there's nothing about me that's interesting. I don't care. Uh, that is the completely the wrong way to look at it. And, I'll, and the, what I always say to people that is go watch uh, uh, Glenn Greenwald's TED Talk on privacy and that will change your mind. So <laughs> if you haven't done that already, go do it. Um, but the other aspect of this is not only is what is your privacy worth, but what is privacy as a concept worth as a society. So paying these people money shows people like Google and other companies that people do care about privacy and they're willing to pay for it. And not only will that benefit the companies that are currently offering for pay services, but it will encourage other companies and perhaps even Google at some point, uh, maybe, you know, maybe they'll decide, you know, well, okay, for 50 bucks a year, we'll, we'll promise not to track you on these services as long as you pay us 50 bucks a year. And maybe, you know, maybe we can start the, the ball rolling toward that. But if nothing else, you're at least, you know, kind of making the market for these products and, and encouraging other people to, to, to follow suit. Yes, it's interesting you mentioned um, privacy as, as a societal benefit there, because uh, privacy is also we believe a foundation of for example democracy mm. if you can't keep private your decision of you know who you're going to vote for um, you could be influenced um, you could publicly do something different to what you would do privately because you know that people are, are watching you and that changes things dramatically and and you know, enables bad actors to sort of uh, to, to overly influence influence us uh, similarly with with uh, medical care or medical questions if we we think somebody's sort of watching or recording what we're doing we're going to be reluctant to search or or, or, mm -hmm. or research sort of embarrassing uh, medical issues um, and that could be a, also a serious problem if it becomes a you know, spread through society yeah, and one of the and one of the points then I'll move on after this. I don't want to get too philosophical, right. but one of the points that Glenn Greenwald makes in the in the TED talk is that for for societies and democracies to mature and grow over time, they've got to be able to push the boundaries and in some cases break the law or at least break mores. Uh, you know, and, and things that are you know taboo. Like I mean, look at interracial yeah. dating, right? I mean, there was a time when that was a taboo. Um, uh, uh, LGBT, be, you know, being in that community was, uh, you know, very different now than it was, you know, even 20 years ago. Anyway, so uh, so there's that angle. Um, but let me get back to the practical point because I and I told you that I was going to grill you on this. So it's not just enough to say, oh, okay, use Fastmail, don't use Google. I'm already using Google. How do how do I get from Google to Fastmail? I've got all this email in Google, is it gone? Is it lost? Uh, you know, can I still get to it without accessing Google? Do I delete my Google account or do I just deactivate it? Um, what do I do as far as trying to get other people? You know, how do I change my email address from a practical standpoint? If I, if I say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do this, I'm going to sign up for Fastmail. I'm going to pay them money. Um, what do I, how do I practically go about switching from the one service to the other? Yeah, this is a, a very good question. The, the, one of the first things I would recommend is having your own domain name. 
and this might sound a little bit um, complicated, but uh, that, again, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, then it's likely that you know what a domain name is, and I, I you know, think be able to do it. Uh, so let's take me as a, a personal example. I have my own personal f- uh, family domain name, which if you go to the web page, it doesn't say, it just says welcome. It's a white page that says welcome, <laughs> and that's it. So I don't use it for anything except email. And uh, I did have a different provider many, many years ago, and I switched to, to Fastmail, but the domain name stays the same. So for anybody emailing me, it, it still comes to me, and they don't see any different. Uh, I just had to uh, re- request a switch from the email providers. I believe that uh, many of these uh, email providers have guides for you on their websites, and some of them might even offer the ability to purchase a, a, a domain as well. But especially if you're using one of the paid packages, then it's going to have support for a domain, maybe even multiple domains. You could have one for each person of the family, potentially. Yes, good point. And that, then they do. And Fastmail, I, I've actually already signed up for Fastmail. And I've used it for a while. I just haven't completely switched away from Google. Um, but yeah, so basically what you're saying is you would go to like a one of the popular ones would be like GoDaddy. I don't think I'd actually personally recommend them. Uh, <laughs> Hover.com is somebody I like to go to. Um, uh, but if you, you know, if you go and buy a domain name, it's like, a, you know, the first year is like, I don't know, 10 bucks a year. And then it's, after that, it's maybe 15 bucks a year. So it's, it's a small thing, but then you're right. You own your, you own your name, carryparker.com. Actually, someone else took that. <laughs> so I had to get ah. Carrie dash Parker. Yeah. Um, but you know, find something semi-unique, but something you were willing to live with for a long period of time. And yes, you're, that's a great point. Uh, so if you buy your own domain name, now your email is that email for the rest of your life, as long well at least for as long as you're willing to pay for that domain name. You'll never even if you change your email provider under the cover, you don't like Fastmail anymore, and you want to go to Proton Mail. You're right; these services do offer uh, a thing that says, "I own this domain." You prove that you own this domain, and then any, any email that goes to that domain goes to that service. And you're right; so now you doesn't really matter what's under the covers anymore. You can switch them willy nilly. That's a great point. Yes, uh, another benefit of doing that. Now, now some people. Uh, have uh, mentioned to me that uh, Gmail has a feature where you can make any kind of inbox. So you could have um, Kerry Parker plus um, mm. podcast, and that would be like a sort of a separate address you could give to people yep. specifically about the podcast. And then you could close that address if it started to get a lot of spam, for example. I do the same thing with my uh, domain. So my personal domain, um, I have it set up so that if somebody um, emails me at not at my regular email address, then I will still get it in a certain inbox. Um, even if it's not my regular email address, but it's the same domain, if that makes sense. Which means that I, when I sign up for something, let's say I sign up for a Yahoo service, I can use the email address Yahoo at my domain, and it will still mm. get to me. And if ever I want to change it, block it, forward it, or whatever, I can do that. So it gives me a lot of control and flexibility and a lot of protection, actually, when I'm signing up for this one-time service that I'm likely never going to need again, I don't want to give them my personal yes. real email address, so I give them this other one on my domain, which I can control and just ignore after 30 days or whatever. Yeah, that's a great point. So what about all my historical emails? What do I do with all the emails I have in Gmail right now? Uh, I think it's a good idea not to think of this as a complete switch. So on this day, <laughs> I'm suddenly going to drop my Gmail and I'm suddenly going to start using 100% this new one. I think on a practical level, if, if, if it were me, I would keep the Gmail for a little while and go back and look. And uh, In particular, this is useful for seeing there might be somebody that just communicates with you occasionally and, oh, you forgot to let them know your new email address. So oh, if you're not using your own, uh, you know, your own domain. Uh, so it's worth keeping it for a little while just to go back occasionally and check who you might need to let know. With the old emails, uh, 
that's completely up to you. There is a, um, a feature, I think, in Fastmail for importing. Hmm. It, it's called IMAP email. So mm-hmm. the emails, if it's IMAP, it means it's kept on the server, uh, on Google's server. And so they have a feature where you can transfer old emails over uh, if you yep. give them the credentials. So effectively, it is possible for you to have all your old emails in the new service and then you could go and delete them all from, from Gmail. All right. So moving on, Gmail is a big one. Um, and you did say that Fastmail is, uh, they've got contacts and calendar as well. Um, the contacts is pretty straightforward because it's my contacts. I generally don't share them with other people. What about calendaring though for the, for the, for the calendaring? If I, like, for instance, I've got several Google calendars that I share with my family. Um, so we can keep, tra- keep tabs on each other and they're all color coded and uh, we've been using this system for years. Now, if I want to go to uh, Fastmail's calendaring system, is it is it in any way compatible, or, or do I have to suddenly tell all my family, okay, you guys all need to get Fastmail accounts too, so we can all switch? Uh, I haven't used Gmail calendars. I don't really know how it compares, <laughs> but um, there there are multiple um, calendars within your account. So, for example, that, that go we have a couple of calendars. One is for the calendar for meetings and things. Uh, one is a calendar for individual uh, holidays and vacations that we put in there. And anybody can access that. They do allow you to um, uh, export the data so that you can put it into your software. So I use Thunderbird for my calendar software. I'm giving away so much personal data here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I use Thunderbird for my calendar. uh, And so I just drop in the URL that the Fastmail calendar uh, has. And then automatically it then stores the, uh, the data there. So, or rather, it shows the data there in my Thunderbird calendar. And so I'm able to synchronize uh, multiple calendars on the separate software because Fastmail uses this standard, this sort of mm. worldwide standard for, for calendaring. All right. So let's talk about uh, how about Android? <laughs> most, I mean, for most people, there's really only two options, right? There's iOS, which is Apple, and there's Android. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other choice. If I'm, if I'm an Android person, if I'd want to switch away from Android, what other choice do I have? iOS is yeah. <laughs> probably the one that everyone is thinking of. And obviously for that, you you know, you have to buy a, an iPhone. Mm. Uh, so uh, if there's a certain amount of cost involved there. Um, but there are many benefits, I believe, to, to using um, iOS over Android. And we talked earlier about how text messaging on Android is, is unencrypted by default. Right. On iOS, it is encrypted by default. Um, the we, we also have a, some tips on our on our blog for both Android and iOS for protecting the, the privacy. One of them is for setting up password um, or a passcode for the for the phone. Hmm. If you do this on iOS, it automatically encrypts the whole device. Now, as a user, you don't see any change. You know, you just type in your passcode and you access your phone. But from a let's say a, a bad hacker's point of view, if they want to get your phone, they can't access the, the files on it, even if they connect it to a computer and, mm. and use special software to get in, because everything's encrypted. Everything just looks like random letters and, and mm-hmm. numbers. doesn't seem to make sense. Whereas with Android, if you haven't gone into the settings and en- encrypted the phone, so somebody could take your phone, plug it into a computer, and they get access to your files. So right. that, that's one big difference between the two. Uh, the, obviously, with Android as well, Google is, is so much built into it that it's very hard to escape the services. Even if you don't <laughs> use a particular Google app on there, mm-hmm. it's not 
uninstallable, it's going to stay there and it's still potentially uh, tracking you. And there have been um, there were reports that even if you don't use the the map, for example, Google is still tracking your your location yes. from, your, from your Android phone. And I will say that, and I've talked about this many times in the show, is that I, I admit I'm an Apple fanboy. I've been an Apple guy for a long time, but I think I can still say objectively with a straight face that the Apple is a very different company than Google and Apple is at Apple. You are not the product and you pay a lot of money for that. Um, but it's part of the, what part of the reason you're paying for that money is it's because of, I think because of that, yes, there's an Apple tax. There's sort of a status symbol thing to it that Apple products tend to be expensive, but they tend, their attitude is definitely seems to be, we don't want your data. We don't, we don't even want access to your data because if some if they come somebody comes and asks us for it, we don't want to even have the capability to give it to them. That's a very different stance, and uh, and from a security standpoint, at Android devices, unfortunately, they're getting better, but it's so hard to keep them up to date. And in today's uh, hacker friendly or hacker uh, mentality world we live in, it, you've got to keep up to date. And so many there's so many different layers and fractured market issues that keep. You know, Android phones are getting the latest and greatest software with it. Whereas with Apple, uh, yeah, it's one walled garden homogenous system. But man, when there's a security update, everybody gets it right away. Yes, very good point. Um, yeah, Apple doesn't have the same incentive that Google does. So Google has to uh, make money through you know, its advertising networks based on personal data because that's their, their business model. Um, how else are they going to do it if they give the stuff away for free is, is the argument. Whereas Apple, they charge for it. So the incentive is not there. Um I'm not saying that's everything, but you know, looking at a company's incentive and you know how they they make their revenue, I think is important when, when making these decisions. I have an Android phone, and exactly as just described, I you know can't update to the latest version because mm. it's now too old and and uh, not supported. Obviously, that's the same with iOS, but I think the cutoff date seems to be much much tighter mm-hmm. with Android. It seems to be much sooner where the and um, and actually it's not really Google; it's the individual um, providers of the right. phones. Uh, they decide, you know, we're not going to support it after two or three years or something, which uh, is really disappointing because that being able to keep your phone up to date with latest security patches is so important. Having said that, we should be, um, not leave Android without talking about Google-free versions of Android. Mm, really? And okay. This is tricky because in pretty much all cases, uh, well, nearly all cases, you need to install the software yourself. Huh. But there are two op- versions of Android operating system that I'm, I'm aware of. One is called Lineage OS, and hmm. it used to be uh, Cyanogen mod, and that's what I put on my, my Android phone. Ah, there's okay. another one. There's another one called Replicant as well, which is <laughs> so, so Lineage is effectively Google free. After you've installed Lineage, you can install Google Apps um, if you want to, um, but it's perfectly um, uh, usable as you know the Lineage OS itself with um, F-Droid, for example, for the uh, Play Store equivalent. It's got hmm. loads and loads of great uh, open source software on there. And you know, you, I don't know about you, but some people have the you know, open source software, oh, it's something that you know, somebody made in their free time and it's not very good. That's pretty far from the truth these days. The, the quality of apps that you can access through F-Droid is, is very high. Now, are these so that's are these phones that you have to buy with this OS on it? They're somehow special phones, or do you have to jailbreak your phone and then uh, install this in OS on top? For pretty much, for, for almost all people, you're going to have to install it yourself, which is the big hurdle. Mm-hmm. Now, there are one or two um, 
small suppliers out there who will um, supply you with a phone with this uh, install already. And there's one, and I'm sorry, I can't think of the name now, but there is one I saw the other day where they, they sell refurbished um, Samsung uh, Galaxy S2 and S3 phones with uh, Google-free uh, open-source Android version on them. And I think in that case, it's not Lineage OS. I think it's a, another Android distribution uh, called Replicant, which doesn't include any non-free software on. So any software that is not uh, purely open source, and they have very strict hmm. criteria for that, uh, is effectively excluded uh, from, the, from the phone. So there are two options there. It is possible to find companies that will supply you, but your choice of phones is going to be quite narrow, <laughs> and it might be you know, an, an older phone. But it is possible. And if once you get there, from my experience, the phone is then very, very usable. You still have maps. You still have all the, the things that you need. So let's talk. It's, so you mentioned maps. So uh, let's wrap this up with just a few more of the big the heavy hitters, the things that people use on Google all the time. Let's talk about Google Maps. So what are my alternatives to using Google Maps? Well, if you're on um, iOS, obviously, you've already got uh, Apple Maps. Uh, but there are many, many um, apps that will provide maps that are not sourced from Google. And uh, OpenStreetMap is probably the next uh, mm. most obvious one. Uh, the OpenStreetMap themselves, they provide a website, they have a you know, very, very good mapping service. But because their maps uh, are effectively o open source, they're also included in various other apps. So you can find apps that use OpenStreetMap, but then add additional functionality. Uh, for example, there's one, I think it's uh, OSM and that might be an Android one. No, no, it's on iOS as well. Uh, and that gives you um, navigation uh, features and stuff as well. So these are uh, apps that you can download for your phone because most people use it on the phone, but also websites you can go to as well. That's correct. Yes. yes. All right. What about Google Drive? Uh, I actually use this a lot. Um, I, you know, between Dropbox and Google Drive, I keep all sorts of stuff, you know, quote unquote, in the cloud so I can get to it from any computer and share it with other people. Uh, is there, you know, Google Drive has got, you know, it's like a whole office suite, right? It's got uh, a Word equivalent. It's got an Excel equivalent. Is there an, is there another service I could use besides Google Docs? I see what you mean. Yeah, I'm going to split Google Drive into two. Um, so okay. one is the sort of the file synchronization part. And internally, we use something called Resilio Sync. Hmm. Uh, that's R-E-S-I-L-I-O Sync, which used to be, I think, BitSync was the name. Hmm. And it's peer-to-peer -peer, um, file sharing. Uh, so the file sharing sounds as though it's going to be available for everybody. But no, you can indicate exactly who you want to, to share certain files or, or uh, folders with. Uh, so we use it, and it's it's absolutely you know, does everything we need. So Resilio Sync is a good option for that. Another um, thing that I think maybe earlier this year Mozilla came out with: if you want to share a file with one person in particular, mm. or just you know a, a certain people that you send an email to, a kind of Dropbox uh, equivalent in that sense is Firefox Send. It's yes. nothing to do with the browser. But yes. If you go to send.firefox.com. You can drop a file on there. It will upload it and encrypt it, give you an email address, uh, oh, sorry, a, a link to then send to somebody by email. They can download it, and when they sort of access it from that link, it decrypts it as well. And then um, Firefox or Mozilla will then delete that file after 24 hours. So it's encrypted, temporary file sharing for, for large files. So I've used that and it's... I have good. to. I've rec I actually recommend that to a lot of people. Like, you know, for the time you want to send your tax files to your tax guy, you know, that's a great uh, a great service for things like that. 
exactly one point i should say is that when if you send the uh, the link by email in uh, some cases the email might not be encrypted so you might want to send it by uh, messenger we, we might maybe talk about that later but messenger such as signal signal is yes. a messenger uh, ios text messages are encrypted as well um so that's just one thing to be aware of when you're sending very sensitive uh, links by email. Yes, and you could either pre-encrypt it, which uh, I've got a blog article on that, or actually uh, send.firefox.com oh. has a password option too. You can put a password on the file. Oh, um, yes, good point. So, all right, okay, let's uh, read our <laughs> lead oh. right into that next one then. Oh, actually, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention the second part of Google Drive, which mm, is the yes. actual the, the file creation, the, the, mm, the docs yeah. or the spreadsheet or whatever. And I... Um, don't think we mentioned this in our blog article, but we use Zoho yeah, I've heard uh, of that. internally. And uh, I've not really used Google Docs very much, but uh, so I can't sort of provide an accurate comparison. But it does everything we need. We use it mostly for, for spreadsheets, online spreadsheets, where you know, yeah, we, we, we share a spreadsheet. We, For example, our social media. We keep our um, social media content that we're going to post in, uh, in a spreadsheet on Zoho Docs. And... We can comment on it. Uh, we can see changes that each other have made. It's very, very convenient. So I think that's that's a good alternative. And I suppose we should have been mentioning this along the way. Which of these services are uh, require payment? Like, does Zoho does that is that a for pay or is that free? And if it's free, how why is this not have the same problems that all the free Google services would have? Um, that's a good point. Uh, Docs.zoho.com. I'm just going to check. Um, I think so. So they do have a paid service which is how they, they make their money. And I can't remember if they have a free version as well. Uh, oh, they do. Okay. So they do have a free version for up to 25 users, um, which is going to be enough. If it's just for, for family use, that's fine. And then they have a, a higher paid tiers for mm. um, businesses. So again, the incentive there is not for them to just collect and sell all your data because they have got a business model um, that is just basically a regular subscription. So again, we're looking at the scripts, uh, the incentives just to help us with our decision. Going to some of the other ones that we t we talked about, uh, iOS we mentioned. You know, that's you know, you have to pay for. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and consequently, the maps with Apple is free, but then you're kind of paying through buying the sure. the, the, the hardware effectively. OpenStreetMap is free, which you would think raises alarm bells. Okay, how are they making their money? Hmm. But in this case, it's actually a, an organization. It's a non-profit organization, and it's open source software. So it's kind of a, an exception to the rule. Um, hmm. If we look at it's not a company that's trying to make a profit. It's an organization that is trying to provide something that it believes the world, world needs. I'm very often powered by volunteers, by the way. Um, so I've, I've done, done it myself. You hmm. see a gap in the map around where you live <laughs> and think, hey, there's a street there. It should be on the map. So you can go in and maybe with your phone, you sort of track your way along that oh, along that, that road. And then you can upload that uh, data to the to OpenStreetMap itself. And it will add that, that road to the map. I've often wished I could do that. I, I'm a, I've been a Garmin user for a long time. And so, I, you know, the, the actual physical dedicated, you know, GPS device in the car, which is going away because everyone's using their phones now. Um, but there's been so many times when I've been driving down a new road and I'll drive back and forth every day. Cause it's like a new road around my house. It's like, they should just figure out that I'm not going off road or just, you know, just paint in a road there. <laughs> Let's just say there's a road there. 
Yeah, you're not driving through a house, so maybe <laughs> right. there is. And you're doing it every day, so maybe there is some idea. All right, let's wrap up with one more because you mentioned it, and then we'll uh, we'll sign off. But uh, so you, we talked about messaging, and uh, you'd mentioned Signal. So tell where does Signal come in? What would that replace? Um, it would replace the built-in messaging uh, on Android in particular because it's, it's not encrypted by default. Uh, Google Allo is uh, Google's messaging service, I think, still used by some people. Uh, there are also other um, messaging services that are, are out there. There's WhatsApp, there's, there's Telegram. And we feel that Signal offers the, the highest trust out of mm-hmm. all of them. Um, it's end-to-end uh, encryption. Uh, it's recommended by people who really know their stuff. Uh, so Bruce Schneier is, yep. is is one, for example. And uh, for me personally, when he recommends something, I'm really going <laughs> to yep. sit up and take notice. Me too. Yeah. Uh, they also released a desktop version as well. So now it's a messaging. So different to some other messaging services, you don't have to be on your phone to use it. You, know, you can install the, the software on your, on your desktop as well. Yep, I use that all the time, and, it, uh, and, it, and it's it is really nice. And it was really I really really happy to see it when they came out with the uh, the desktop app. Mm-hmm. All right, wow, that's uh, we covered a lot. We covered a lot of ground, and uh, I really appreciate it. And you know, it's it's really going to be hard to extract myself from from the Google ecosystem. But I I am on a mission. I am going to try to start knocking them off. Uh, and start doing it myself and that means you could do it too and uh we've we've outlined it here and i, I will put a, definitely put a link to the article on uh, how to move uh, remove google uh your wonderful article on that and with links to all a lot of these products that we just talked about so you can get the uh you actually go get these things and try them out uh, most of them are at least free to try um and you can check them out and maybe get some of your friends to do it too Thank you. And I have to say, it's actually getting easier. The more these stories leak about what Google has done the mm. other day, we found out that Google is um, partnered with with MasterCard to use yeah. the offline data. So your offline pur- purchases are now linked with your online data. The more stories we get like this, the easier it gets to say, okay, I'm going to try a bit harder to, to use some of the alternative services. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, in fact, I'll be covering that. Uh, that is a new story in an upcoming show. Um, it just, it's just so creepy. And, it, you know, Google hasn't gotten really busted with the big ones yet. Like, you know, maybe Facebook with Cambridge Analytica and these things, but it's going to happen. Uh, so now yes. you could be, you're well armed and you can go out there and you can tell everybody, oh, yeah, I knew that. I switched away from Google a long time ago and looked really cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. It was really good talking to you. And uh, DuckDuckGo is, is doing some wonderful work. And I know you've got some great stuff in the hopper. I want to bring you back when those things are revealed. And we can talk more about those as well. Uh, yes, that would be great. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye. I want to send a special thanks to Daniel Davis for coming back again. He's uh, I think he's been here three different times now. And it's always wonderful to talk to him. And DuckDuckGo has got some great products. And they keep coming out with even more. And uh, he recommended some really good alternatives there. And I would strongly encourage all of you to take a look at them. And, you know, like myself, I actually, I've actually moved to some of these already kind of in parallel, and I'm still using some Google products. And now I'm ready to stop using those Google products and focus directly on these other alternatives that are hopefully much more privacy focused. And, you know, it's, it's such a shame because if, if these services were there to serve us, if we were not the product, if we were truly the customer, um, they could be doing some really powerful things and, and 
it's just a shame that at the end of the day, with you know, it, it, they're providing this service. It's not for our benefit. Well, you know, not ostensibly for our benefit, but at the end of the day, they're there to make money, and they're in that Google's an advertising company, and so the way they make money, unfortunately, that what they've chosen to do is is to make money off of knowing everything about us, and it, it's just too creepy. It's way too creepy, and it's just it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we're going to have to find a, a way to strike that balance as a, as a society with these technological technology companies. Um, and all this technology could be used for for so much good. Um, but unfortunately, right now we're at cross purposes. And uh, so give these other ones a shot. And like I kind of said during the interview, it's it's important to get to try them and, and where you can to support them, because it's it's important that not only these companies understand that we are willing to pay or go through some extra effort. Um, to preserve our privacy and, and and stand up for what we believe is important. Uh, and maybe some of these other companies will start getting the message and maybe we'll finally shift away from this stuff and, um, and privacy will be the norm instead of the exception. And uh, we can really start using this data, this wonderful data and these wonderful tools to benefit it, you know, ourselves instead of, you know, for profit and for advertising and all these other reasons that are unfortunately counter to most people's privacy. All right. I just want to remind you uh, before we go real quick that uh, uh, the new third edition of Firewall Stunt Stuff Dragons is out. It's bigger and better than ever. It's uh, 400 pages long. It's got full color pictures in it this time, which is really neat. Um, it's got over 150 tips in it. Um, all sorts of different things that'll help keep you and your family safe and sound, uh, not just uh, secure, but also keep your data private. Unfortunately, you know, there's, there's a big difference between privacy and security. Most companies um, out there are trying to protect your security. That's something you can both agree on. It benefits you both. It's a win-win. Uh, when it comes to privacy, however, there's a in some companies like Facebook and Twitter and, and Google, unfortunately, there's a direct conflict of interest there. They want to know all sorts of information about you. They do these dark patterns uh, that are there to trick you basically into giving them as much information as possible. And they don't want you to be able to opt out. Um, it's just, it's just kind of sad anyway. So the book is, uh, is focused on privacy as well as cybersecurity. And there's lots of great tips in there. So check that out. It's available everywhere, I believe at this point. And uh, it makes a great gift too. If you want to, if you're the tech person in the, in the, in your family and you know, you get tired of answering all these questions, well, just hand them a copy of this book. So that'll wrap up another episode this week and uh, stay safe out there. And of course, you know, this week in particular, we're thinking a lot about hurricane Florence and all the people along the East coast that have been hit really hard uh, by this storm. There's been a lot of flooding and of course, a lot of the high winds and, and things along uh, of that nature. Hope everybody out there managed to stay safe and, um, pull through this one. I'm actually in North Carolina right, right now myself. And luckily where I'm at, it mostly passed us by. We didn't really get a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of wind and rain here, but boy, along the coast, they really got hit hard. So hope everybody out there did, uh, pull through this one. Okay. Uh, and as always stay safe and, uh, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. 